everyone. I'm Reverend Carla and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Now let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another because you know I absolutely believe that and I am so honored to be hosting today the amazing Amir Yas to our podcast. Amir, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Carla, for having me. I'm just like so happy to be here as well. Well, I'm going to give a little bit of a bio and we're just going to take off from there. Amir is a queer Muslim unicorn. We're going to be talking about that. Who won't shy away from any conversation. Comedy is at the center of everything that he does. And chatting with you, it already does feel like an old friend with a lot more sass. I can already feel my sass. I, I forget to be sassy. I've got a sassy side and I just forgot that I knew. We all that. do, Carla. We all have a sassy side. <laughs> Uh, Amir actively battles against racism, transphobia, and body shaming in the queer community. And he, you can find him on TikTok and Instagram at Amir Yas Official. And we'll be sure to put that in our show notes so you can find them once again. Amir, thank you again for being here. Of course. It's wonderful. Thank you for having me. So you and I have had a chance to have a conversation prior to our recording as well. We talked a little bit. I spent some time on your social media sites. And I just have to start at the very beginning of talking about who you are and for you to be able to not only come out to say you are a queer Muslim unicorn, but to celebrate who you are. Your social media platform is magnetic. It's It truly is. It's authentic. It's who you are. And it is funny. I love it. <laughs> I love, now, I'll be honest. You know, I'm a boomer. I don't get some of the jokes, but that's okay. Just watching you express <laughs> Some of those is wonderful. But I want to start this interview by you just uh, having an opportunity to tell a little bit who you are and how you got to the point where you can comfortably call yourself a queer Muslim unicorn. So it's been a long, long journey. Um, You know, I I was in seventh grade and I, you know, was... 60, 70 pounds overweight. I was the the Muslim kid in in an all Christian school. So I already felt very othered. And I remember kids were making fun of me and they were, you know, coming for me and making whatever, whatever kids do bullying. And, you know, thank God there was no social media. So the bullying never followed me home, but there was a lot of bullying. And I dealt with a lot of you talk weird, you're bizarre, you have a weird face, your dad's so like foreign. There was just so many of those comments. And then my dad's name, of course, is Jafar. So it adds to the humor as well. Then it's like Aladdin. And then there was all these jokes. And it's just all of it was just so tough. And it's funny because all the things I hated as a kid about myself, I celebrate and I love today. It's like the funniest thing. So I remember just seeing these kids make fun of me. And I remember all I don't know where this came from. I call it the inner RuPaul. It just came out. And I just the sassy side came out. And I said, Listen, I can go to the gym and lose some weight. But your personality you can never buy. And I remember the kids all stopped. And then everyone laughed at that one bully. And I remember the power of humor. I was like, wow, I can disarm someone without ever lifting a finger. And that's kind of where my love of comedy started. And I realized, wow, like I can take up space in a really amazing way by making people laugh. And when people started to laugh, they forgot that I was the Muslim kid. I was the kid that talked weird. I was the kid that was feminine. Whatever it was, they started to just forget it. It just fell away. And as I lost weight or found myself and my personality and my confidence, that humor never went away. So that was really kind of an impetus for my life to kind of start building. And I also realized if I was laughing, if I was making people laugh, there wasn't a lot of time to focus on what I couldn't do and that I was in a closet or I was stuck or all of the negative stuff that was holding me back. So humor has been such a therapeutic thing in my life. So it's it's really kind of brought me to this moment. And to have people stop me on the street or have people DM me and be like, you got me to the pandemic you made me laugh you you like uplifted me it like is kind of crazy because that inner child of mine really had to be healed by that because I always thought I don't deserve to take up space I deserve to go away and you know I struggled with suicidal ideation for years I mean I've been in therapy for the last decade so for me a lot of my life was like I don't want to exist anymore I want to just like disappear and for having like people message me and say like you helped me through the toughest time in my life. You helped me through a divorce. You helped me through cancer. Whatever it is, I'm like, that's insane that like one person can have that power. It's just so inspirational. Oh honestly. my goodness. Like people that's inspire beautiful. Me around. Yeah. 
So did you find, did you start your social media platforms prior to uh, 2020, like the rest of us kind of migrated to, t let's see what this TikTok thing is about. Or was, was that, did you come before that? Were you, were you already on those platforms? So I was on the platforms, but I never really took it kind of as seriously as I did once the, the pandemic hit. So I had, I had Instagram and then I was being bullied and I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. So I deleted it. Um, and then around 2018, I got back on Instagram and then I was hosting these panels um, at the LGBT center. And it was all about like creating safe spaces. And I realized like, wow, like I can create this online as well. So I kind of translated the conversations I was having at the panels onto like online. And initially, if funny enough, my profile was coming out of love. And I was like, I'm not coming from a place of love. I'm frustrated with people being homophobic and casually racist and fat phobic. And the queer community is one of the worst places for racism and fat shaming and transphobia, which a lot of people don't know. They think it's, oh, it must be like cisgender people. No, it's a lot of queer people who are having these conversations and are very anti-trans people and anti-fatness and et cetera. So I wanted to really call people out. And, I, and I've always been that person. I'm not gonna, if you don't like, having serious conversations, then go follow another queer person. Because I'm not going to be the person that's doing a makeup challenge. I'm not going to do the stuff that you want, you like think a queer person should do. I'm going to call people out. It's always going to be funny, but I'm never going to stop coming for people and calling people out where I feel like there's injustice. That's just, I don't, maybe it's like a compulsion, but I literally cannot keep my mouth shut. If I try, if you take my mouth, it'll come out my ears. I don't really know. Like it's not going to stay in. Like, I don't know what to say. Well, I often... Uh, equate it to like a kinked a hose. And then when they finally, there's a, there's this moment of pressure and may that pressure continue for years on, because I can imagine, especially when you were felt, when you felt that oppression and couldn't really authentically be yourself, that can lead to a lot of those words. You've got a lot of words to use up still. And you're doing it in a very creative way. And of course, no matter how you bring some of that activist voice, there's going to be people that are offended. But I'd like to talk about, because we, uh, we mentioned during our, our, during our pre-conversations, during our emails, that this is being recorded right before your holy experience in, in the Muslim community. I'm intrigued by and I'm honored to hear you talk about holding on to queer Muslim unicorn. So you are still holding on to tenets of your faith. And how has your faith supported you in your authenticity now that you identify as as queer? It's, you know, it's, it's a very tough journey, I think, for a lot of people. It's not for the faint of heart. There's another queer uh, Muslim influencer named Blair Imani who wears like a rainbow hijab. And, you know, she's very open. And, and we've had these frank conversations, death threats. We want to kill you. We want, we, I mean, during Pride, I would get messages from the Middle East saying, we want to push you off a roof. We were so happy your parents hate you. You know, I did a video about, you know, the struggles of coming out to my family. There were so many nasty comments. But the way I see it is like, for better or for worse, God made me who I am and I, God doesn't make mistakes. And whoever's listening that is maybe homophobic or thinks that queer people are going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever those, they want to throw those insults out. Remember, God doesn't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that I tell people is that there is homosexuality in 90 species of animals. Animals do not have free will. So if you're going based on the idea that we are choosing to be queer, then your conversation is null and void because of nature. So animals, giraffes, rams, there's hundreds and hundreds of animals that regularly have homosexuality in nature. So if you want to Google it, go right ahead. Because I, and I've realized that I learned this through therapy, that it's not my job to defend who I am. So all I'm saying is it's just a fact and just go look it up. And it's, you're going to see amazing things of penguins that have been partners, male partners for 30 years. Like it's fascinating. So I think for me, growing up in a very conservative Muslim family, there wasn't a lot of space to be yourself, right? It was suppressed. And then, you know, I, I got into the world and then it was suppressed. I got into the queer community and it was suppressed. I even got on TikTok and it was suppressed. For someone who has as many views as I do, I don't have that many followers because they suppress my videos. If I talk about being queer, they take them down. Um, you know, I've done interviews about this. I've really tried to bring attention to this because a lot of queer influencers are getting suppressed. And that's fine. But you're not going to dim my light because my light is not a diamond. It's a shooting star. Mm. Good luck trying to dim that. Go right ahead. I'll find another light source. I mean, that's just kind of the resilience of being queer is that we get to design our lives. We get to find the light somewhere else. The fact of the matter is, Muslim people want nothing to do with me because I'm gay. Gay people want nothing to do with me because I'm Muslim. They don't, they're like, how can you 
be Muslim when Muslims hate us. Like most Muslim countries execute queer people. I understand that, but that is culture versus religion. You have to separate the two. I think that's the number one thing. If you look at culture when it comes to Christianity, uh, hello, <laughs> the Crusades, uh, hello, like popes stealing people's money. I mean, if you're going to go that route, there's a lot of culture with every religion that has been really bad, but I'm focused on God. I'm focused on the brilliance of my connection with God. It's very personal. Yes, I have made it public, but what I do personally, and I've never said I'm the face of Islam. People, you know, try to send me messages. Oh, the face of American Islam. I never said that. I never told anyone to be Muslim. I never told one person to be gay. I don't want that for someone. This is my journey. And if God had made 10 gay people, I'd say, fine, it's a mistake. But when there are millions of thriving people around the world, God just doesn't make mistakes. And I keep saying that because it's something that I've had to tell myself. You know, those nights where I'm trying to pray the gay away, I'm like, he doesn't make mistakes. What am I doing? Like, it, there is a reason. And the funniest thing is, Carla, before this, I was so judgmental before I came out. Anyone that did anything wrong, it was very black and white. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Drag them off to hell. And after I came out, I became more empathetic. I became, believe it or not, a better Muslim. And when I tell people that, they get very upset. How dare you say that? The fact of the matter is, I became more empathetic. And at the core of every religion is not praying and is not fasting. It is being a better person. It is being non-judgmental. You, the people are like, you have to, you know, on judgment day, you're going to have to call out for your sins. You're also going to have to call out for the fact that you wanted me to die that you felt, not only you wanted me to die, but you felt the need to tell someone who was suicidal at the time that they should kill themselves. Had I done it, my blood is on your hands. That is something that you need to like answer for, right? So I think it's important that as queer people, we don't just take everything all the time. I take a lot, but there are moments where I'm like, no, I'm going to respond. And I had a friend who messaged me and said, I don't think you should respond. Walk a mile in my shoes and then you get to make that comment. From your cisgendered privilege of saying, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you don't need to. That's not fair. Like, I'm a human being. Like, I can only take so much. So it's been a really long journey. But there are times where I will delete queer Muslim from my profile because I'm tired of the comment. But there are days where I'm like, hey, this is powerful and it's inspiring other people. Like, and honestly, I'm not here to say I'm an inspiration. I'm just trying to get through the day sometimes. And all I'm saying is, I believe in God. Why is that so creating so much stigma? I, I really don't, I, I kind of don't understand. So I'm revising a course that is called God is Black, Female, Gay, and Non-Binary. And, I, and I'm inviting other creators to come in to, to record a piece of it. And I'm going to talk to you about this. I think there's a piece for you. But I just got Goddess Mia. I don't know if you follow her on TikTok. If not, I encourage you to do so. She recorded a powerful, powerful uh, piece for this. And she said in this, being LGBTQIA plus cannot be a choice because who wants to be persecuted? And I mean, I'm watching this video where she just, she just had me in tears over and over again as I'm listening to this. And she said, I don't want to be a part of any spirituality that hates me. Mm. Um, so she's talking about her reconciling her Christian. And the last thing she said was, where is the world safe for me now? And, you know, that I think that's that's so poignant what you said, but I want to circle back to what you just you expanded on. But what is your re relationship now with your family? If that's something you're willing to share, do you feel loved and supported or it does your support come from an extended family that you've created out here? So I, you know, Middle Eastern people are, are very tribe mentality. So everything you do as a family reflects on the family and it's all about reputation and what people are going to say. And however advanced we get, and we are very advanced, like most families have one or two doctors or lawyers. My entire family is doctor and lawyers. Like they're very advanced. But when it comes to psychological, they're very inept. I think there's a lot with our Middle Eastern culture. They don't do therapy. They don't know how to carry stuff. They don't, you know, my family, like I came out to them multiple times and they continuously pushed me back into the closet. My parents specifically, the rest of my family is like kind of made peace with it. But again, it's kind of like the pink elephant we don't talk about. I'm also very public. Like I'm on TV. I'm like, uh, hello. Like I did a dating show where it's like on E, it's public, it's everywhere. And I'm like, how, like, they're still kind of doing the whole, you know, what, what is the, like sticking their head in the sand and they don't want to look up. And I've had these conversations with them over and over again. I mean, to the point where someone had sent all of my Instagram photos, which are public to all of the mosques in California and to all of my dad's business partners and his friends saying, this is what American Islam looks like. Essentially, 
trying to blackmail him. I'm like, these photos are public. It's not like you took my, I don't know, it's not like you took naked pictures. It's like they're public. They're on my Instagram. So people are doing this kind of stuff. My parents continuously go, well, I don't think you should be so public about it. It's okay if you are, but don't talk about it. This is the problem with religion. When it comes to religion, they say we accept queer people, but don't talk about it. Don't act on it. Do you say that to your um, 15 year old son who's having sex? I don't think so. You're encouraging it. You're saying good for you. High fives. So what's the difference? What's the difference between your 15 year old straight son and your 15 year old gay son? What's the difference? It is reputation. It is right. So I, it's frustrating because I am so public and I am like so open about who I am, but in my family, I'm minimized. And there, there's even like nail polish. Little things like, oh, you painted your nails. Yes, I'm going to be 37 soon. I can paint my, you know, it's like little things. If I want to wear a handbag, if I, you know, and it minimize and you, and you, and I've noticed that I've continuously minimized myself, but where I find strength is my social media. My parents have created for the last five or six years have been on a crusade of delete your social media because their friends are seeing it, right? Like I see my mom's friends following me. They're uplifting me instead of her. And it's so funny because my parents, like if you met them, they're so lovely. And a lot of my empathy and kindness comes from them. But there's a part of them that is just so like, we don't want to see that. We're wearing our rose colored glasses and we're not taking them off. Like they're glued on our faces. And I see that I've helped a lot of Middle Eastern people come out to their families. And it's the same thing. It's like, no, you can't be gay. You're a doctor. You can't be queer. You're a lawyer. You can't be queer. You're my daughter. Like, I've seen you date men. Hello? Like, they don't want to see it. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, when I moved back home during the pandemic, my parents, now that I live at home, are kind of like, oh, he's not gay anymore. He's not dating. He's not out. Like, he's not in LA. It's so, I, I, the reason I'm talking about it is because denial is best served with hummus. I mean, that's what I always say. With Middle East, they love a denial. They're eating it up. I'm like, and what that does by minimizing, listen, I'm good. I have therapy. I have a found family. I have a tribe of my own, a queer tribe that I lean on. You know, my sister is very supportive. I lean on her. Like, I don't really need, but this is like for the younger generation when they're coming out and you not only have your parents turn your back on you, but then you're sitting there trying to live your life. You're trying to buy groceries. And then the world's like, no more drag in Tennessee. We're going to shut you down. You can't get married. That just feels unbearable. Like all of those legislations, what people don't understand is, oh, it's just a legislation. It's a slippery slope. Now you can't speak about your period in school. What is going on? Like, what are we talking about? A natural thing you can't, so then what's next? We can't talk about going to the bathroom. Like where is the line, right? Where are we going to draw the line? And I think that's been a really tough journey for me. Well, it's not done. We have definitely gone down the slippery slope. I don't know if you saw the latest legislation from uh, Tennessee. It's passed the House. It hasn't passed their Senate, where they have now made it prerogative of a county clerk or a city clerk to deny the solemnizing a wedding if it's against their religious beliefs. But what that means is that if they don't want to, they don't have to issue the the marriage license. So if you can't have a marriage license in your county, you can't get married. It's not about officiating the wedding. So the language is very very so here it is now we're now we are definitely going after uh same-sex marriage and that it's 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 happening but of course advocacy is what is what we're going for here we're not going to be quiet and you no. tried with the aids crisis you tried it with stonewall you tried to minimize us honey we're not going anywhere keep stealing our culture keep stealing our fashion keep stealing our voguing keep stealing all of it go right ahead we're going to continue to rise this is not going to keep us down Listen, the ten Tennessee Senate is basically now a barn. Good luck to you all. With your no teeth and your ugly white men, um, we're good. Like, you keep doing that. The world is looking and America looks dumb. Period. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm proud to be an American, but there are days where I'm like, it is embarrassing to be from this country. It is embarrassing. And I'm not saying the Middle East is any better. I'm just saying, like, the world is looking and America looks very uneducated. You well are repeating laws. I mean, it just does, it doesn't make sense. And also, I've met so many straight people who do not want to be married, who crap on marriage, who are on their third marriage. So what sanctity of marriage are we actually ruining? That's what I want to know. I'm like, I mean, no shade against divorce. If you don't love who you're with, divorce. I'm fine with that. But don't then turn and say, we are ruining the sanctity of marriage. What are you talking about? I'm confused. Yeah. I mean, because the bottom line is this comes down to wanting more white Christian babies. 
And that's, that's what it is. And, you know, they're pretty much saying the quiet thing out loud now, as they, as they say, they're saying all of that out loud. When you have Trump saying that this is about protecting Christian nationalism on his truth social or whatever it is, you know, that's what it is. I have one more question about, before I ask about unicorn, your faith now, is it something that you consider yourself actively participating or how does it, how does it hold you now? Not regardless of what the noise is outside you, because you 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 hold on to its identity. How are you holding on to it? How does it inspire or nurture you? Because obviously it, it still means something to you for you to identify as that. Can you share a little bit? Because, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people who are trying to reconcile with their religious heritage, but also peel the things that have been harmful or the things that have been, that are steeped in bigotry. So your story, I think, will be meaningful for them. Absolutely. And before I answer, I just want to make a quick point, like around like what Trump brought to the surface, right? He, it was already there for a lot of us, like queer, Muslim. I mean, from 9-11, I, I remember people being like, this is what America is. And I'm like, welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. I was 15 years old when 9-11 happened. I had my entire school look at me and say, do you know what happened? Can you imagine the pressure of being an American with no accent, grew up in this country, having to explain for people thousands of miles away? And they wanted me, and I had to speak for the entire school and say, I don't know what happened. I had to speak to 200, I mean, insane when you look back on it. I mean, it's like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Like, but that's the kind of stuff that Muslim people had to deal with. Even though I'm someone who's white passing when I go to an airport, I'm greened. Oh, you're just voluntarily, oh, we're just picking you out of crap. Really? Because if I shave, that doesn't happen, right? So. And I'm not trying to say that like the world is racist and they're trying to get you and they're coming for you. But the fact of the matter is, if you're someone who's other in this country, there are moments where you're going to be followed in a store. You're going to feel the energy, right? So I, I just wanted to say that like the hate in this country has been there. It's just Trump made it kind of a brand. Like it almost became racism was a brand. It's like, it was like, oh, wow. Like you can say what you want. And it's, I'm just being honest. Like, that's yes. what I'm, you know, so it, it's a different energy. But to answer your question about like this journey of like, finding where I kind of clicked for me to kind of be comfortable in who I am. Honestly, like, I, like a lot of queer people, I had no other choice. It was sink or swim for me. It was like, you're either going to find yourself. And the reason I kind of add that unicorn and I add the being like, and even with my faith, like what I identify with being a good Muslim might not be what someone else sees, right? Because I don't pray. Um, I don't fast, even though like I go to the iftars when they break the fast. I go to the Eid prayer once a year. You know, I, I am involved. But I mean, the joke is I'm, you know, Muslim when there's turbulence. So, you know, when there's a little bit of turbulence, like I'm praying and I, but there is a lot of daily life that is prayer. Like when I'm driving or, you know, if I see an accident, I'm sending a prayer. If I feel like anxiety is building, I, I say a prayer. Like, so there's a lot that like, it's kind of intertwined in my life in, in so many ways. And, you know, my family really does observe a lot. So there's a lot of involvement there. And so am I a perfect Muslim? I don't think so. But does that even exist? Um, I don't really know. And the reason I say that I'm a Muslim, even though I might not technically like by definition be Muslim, is that there's a lot of warmth I find and a safety in my relationship with God. So that to me feels enough to say I'm Muslim. And, you know, one time I was at Eid prayer and one of my friends um, was like, you know, you're hugging all these people, but if they knew you're queer, they would hate you. And I'm like, here I'm Muslim first. So when I'm in a mosque, I'm Muslim first. And to some people that might seem like, oh, you're not being authentic. But I really believe, and I think this is where Gen Z kind of takes a left turn and they kind of get in hot water, is that they want to be accepted in every sphere, every sphere the way they come, which is totally admirable. But I also feel like it's important to protect yourself. I dress a certain way at the mosque. I dress a certain way in the drag club. I think it's important to be able to live in different spheres and kind of code switch to protect myself. I'm not being inauthentic. I'm learning how to, if I'm in a room pitching with a lot of executives, I'm not coming in there with the same energy as I do with my queer friends, right? You have to kind of know how to code switch. And that's just my experience of it all. So, um, but yeah, as far as far as religion goes, I, I just, I spent so much time hating who I was because of religion. Now I'm like, I love who I am and I love God and I don't think he makes mistakes. And I just have to believe that I'm not going to end up headfirst in hell. And if I do, then I don't know why Betsy from across the world cares about that. Mm. That's beautiful. It's the same. I think it's the same energy that I bring to uh, saying that I'm an unchurched, non-conforming Christian. And because uh, I did the work, 
And there are still elements of my religious heritage that uplift me. And then I want to stay connected to this. Sure, some of it could be a little stubborn because there's nobody who's actually that could kick me out. Um, but also I had seen, uh, I had read a, a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. where he was telling all Christians to be non-conforming. If conforming meant that you're staying silent to all the pain in the world. And that from is a sermon from 1954. And that's stuck with me. When I read that and thinking about how much that was setting up his activism and what he was doing, but what he was also calling out Christians to do. And some Christians answered that call and became advocates. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of James Reeb, R-E-E-B, but he was a Unitarian uh, Universalist minister who ended up going to Selma, Alabama, and ended up being murdered down there. His, his murder was never solved. So he answered the call and paid with his life, but then others who just shut their blinds like we did in Nazi Germany. So you had factions of Christians supporting not Nazism and some working secretly to help get uh, Jews out. And so I, I feel like that's the same thing, like holding on to your identity helps you just kind of anchor and say, this, this is who I am. And I love that. I would love for you to talk. I'm, I'm coming back to unicorn. I want to okay. talk about unicorn, but before we do, I loved the language that you put around your found family. And again, things I hear so often from people is I'm so lonely. Mm -hmm. I just need someone to tell me that it's going to be okay. How did you find your family and what you call your tribe and how do they, how do they support you? If someone's sitting out here, they've been shunned by their family and they're feeling rejected. How do you go about finding your found people? It's a journey, you know, like anything else, anything worth, um, you know, it's weight in gold is like, a, it's, it's a journey. It's going to take some time. So I think don't rush. And also you got to see where you're finding friends. Like I was f looking for friends in queer clubs and gay clubs and parties. And a lot of times those friends are not going to have a lot of depth. So it's fine to like go to the parties, enjoy and like be out and enjoy like the best because I think a lot of what gets lost in translation when we're coming out is queer joy. There's so much beauty in the queer community. There's so much joy. There's so much rainbows. There's so much fun. But also there is a lot of loneliness and a lot of hurt people who are psychologically damaged as well. Coming out is like a second birth and it's birth is traumatizing. So, you know, you're doing it twice and sometimes over and over again. You know, I've had to come out as gay, then queer and then Muslim and then femme. And then I maybe I want to date women. I don't know. Like, so there's a lot of just like levels to queerness um, that can be very traumatizing. But I think for me, like what veered differently for me was like, I was like, listen, I need to be around Middle Eastern queer people. And so I just kept looking and I just kept searching for it and I just kept hitting a wall. And then funny enough, through Grindr, which is a dating app, this guy and I were supposed to meet at a party that was like, he said it was like some Middle Eastern thing. And I was like, okay, this sounds fun. Let me go. And then I was kind of nervous. And then I was driving up this big hill and I was like, I don't know, should I reverse? I should leave. I kept going in and out of the car and I was like, no, you know what, just go. So as I'm getting to the front of the door of this house, I get a message from him saying he's not going to make it. He has to work. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I don't know anyone here. But something just kept, I don't know. It was like, it felt like a force bigger than me. It was like pulling me into this house. So I went in and I didn't know anyone. And I'm a very like open social person, but I'm also very introverted. So I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. And like, I walked in and everybody stared at me and I went to the bathroom and I sat on the toilet for like five minutes, like on my phone. I was like, I don't want to go out there. And when I went out there, I just kind of was like, listen, just be open, live your life. So I met two of my really good friends there that are still part of my tribe. And I had found a support group to this organization um, in LA where it's like Middle Eastern queer people. And we had group meetings. And at that point I was still in the closet to my family. So it was just so amazing to like be around this, these people. And like, and then we took a group photo and it was going into this like Persian magazine that my grandfather reads. And I was like, no, 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 I cannot be in this picture. Like, you know, and I, and it's so funny because I've come so far from that, like not wanting to be in a magazine to now being so open, but it was just like, it was just crazy. I felt like this force field was just pulling me into this party. And, you know, I'm still friends with them. And every couple of weeks we get together and, you know, neither of them talk to their parents. And it's kind of funny because two of my closest friends like have no contact with their families. And I'm trying to kind of maintain this half relationship with my family that feels like it's in purgatory. And it's crazy because they've really supported me along that journey. Um, but I think that honestly, you don't need a hundred friends. Like if you have two that get it, 
I think that's more, even one that gets it. Um, it's honestly, you're going to feel less and less lonely. And this world is hard. I mean, even if you're not queer and femme and Muslim, like the world's hard for everyone. But sometimes those intersections, however beautiful they are, sometimes there's accidents, they create issues. Like, and you have to kind of like, and like I said, everything I hated about myself, like, you know, now I really celebrate. And I, and I love that I have all those intersections because every intersection allows you to be more empathetic. And isn't that the goal? I don't know. I thought that was the goal of being a person. Oh my goodness. That's beautiful. Well, okay. First of all, that whole thing needs to be a movie scene. That needs to be a movie scene. You have got to write that out, Thank number you. one. And then for everybody who's wondering, the first thing that you have to do is get on Grinder. That's what I, that's what I got. That seems to be the way. That seems the bravery, the courage to go into a party the first thing, I'm such a suspicious person. Like, okay, I'm being set up. I'm going to walk in this place and they're all going to have that's, that's, what that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I'm going to walk in and it's going to be like some weirdos. And, you know, it was just, it was magical. It was like, talk. I was talking to a trans woman who spoke Farsi. I was like, this is like magic. Like, I just remember the part of being like, I'm speaking my mother tongue to queer people. That I think there's something really magical about that specifically. And also... It's funny because when I was telling the story, I was like, there is no way in God's green earth that I would ever go to a party unannounced, not knowing anyone, even today. I'm like, how did I do that? Like, <laughs> kind of like, that's where I'm like, God has your back. There you go. Because there's there no other reason I could have done that. There's no other reason. I I I would never do that. To, I would never go to a party at a mansion in Hollywood, like ever. Like all of those words, it's a no for me. And, but, and you're really not advising anybody here to do that. No. But the fact that something compelled you, it's almost as if you know this inner knowing. Thomas Keating calls it that presence that's indwelling or indwelling presence. And if we're connected to our higher power, the God source, whatever name we have for this, it leads you. It leads you in, in sacred ways. And I think that's the most important thing. But I love what you said about if you have two good friends, maybe one, because, you know, sometimes we're trying to replace what we came from, especially with our spiritual community, when you think of these big, you think of it as family and they use that kind of language on purpose. So if you do ever feel like you're leaving that you are leaving your family because, you know, they want you to stay committed to your spiritual community as you do your family. And especially in your traditions, that's even more intertwined. Like you said, it, it's very much part of, of how your family is structured in that way. All right. It's very, Carla, it's very like, if you leave, you die kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, 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 and the same here, because, uh, you know, I lost my entire contact list mm -hmm. in a very small town. I lost my entire contact list, my entire, besides my children and my husband, everybody that I, that I was in communication with was my church family and it was gone and it was gone. And that that's hard. But really what we need to do is reevaluate because there were people in those, even in your spiritual community that did not belong in your inner circle. They did mm -hmm. not belong there. They couldn't be trusted. There was way too many people there that really weren't about nurturing you and more about self-serving the institution. Absolutely. And so it's, it's a self-evaluation process that you have to go through to say who really deserves to be as close to me to, that I know will trust my heart. And that usually does end up only being one or two people. It's very true. I mean, I had a first therapist that said it and she was very religious and Christian. She said, don't cast your pearls among swine. I mean, that mm. is really like, and I still hear that voice and I, I'm like, wow, like that's so true because I spent so much time wanting these people in the mosque to love me and they're never going to do it because they don't really love themselves. They don't even love God. Like, so you are coming from, and once I accepted that, I was able to really like see myself for who I am and also see really good Muslims for who they are. I remember there was a moment at on Eid prayer, like, so it was like the end of Ramadan. Uh, I saw an accident with a biker. So me and my sister stopped. We were in high school, I think. And he was right outside the mosque. So we were just like, he had like a banged up knee and we were kind of helping him, whatever. And I didn't think anything of it. Cause I'm like, okay, well the person's hurt, they're bleeding. So you stop and help them even if you're late to prayer. So we get into the mosque and the Imam knew my parents. So he was like, um, at the end of the prayer, he was like, just wanted to make an announcement. Like none of your prayers are accepted today. And everyone's like, <gasps> like, you know, it's like shock and awe. Like everyone's freaking out. What does that mean? And he's like, the only prayers accepted are by those two like high schoolers that stopped and helped the guy outside because you all rushed past someone who needed help to get to God. But that is what God, that's God's test. And I was like, 
we and then everyone was kind of looking at us like with like a lot of like like hate and jealousy. Yeah, right. They just, just made they just made life outside the mosque really awkward. <laughs> you got to go shopping. I'm like, with a lot. <laughs> They're gonna spit in your food when you go to the <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> like that's what I'm like. Thanks a lot. Like everyone hates us now. But it was really funny to like because all we were thinking is like we're gonna miss prayer. Like we we messed up. My parents are gonna be mad at us. But we just wanted to stop and help someone who had skinned their knee, right? And so I, I just think that that was such an interesting moment where people were kind of whizzing by us and really trying to get to prayer. It was really interesting. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about like, do I even want those people in my inner circle that are going, doing something for God? And like, they're so amazing. Do you think Mother Teresa would rush to prayer if someone was dying next to her? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Oh my goodness. All right, now let's talk about the unicorn. We've got <laughs> through the queer and the Muslim. Let's please talk about- Talk about the unicorn in your, in your title or in your description. In my description. Well, the reason I say that is not because I'm like so ridiculous and think I'm mystical and amazing. And I, you know, I'm shooting out rainbows. The reason I say it is because I started saying that about myself when I didn't believe it. When I thought that I deserved to die, I deserved to disappear. I would go to sleep and hope that I just didn't wake up that I would just like disappear. And it, it almost felt like I was like, I don't know if you've seen like Marvel movies, but like Thanos, like he ends all of the superheroes and they just kind of turn to dust and it's like so magical and beautiful and they just disappear. And that's kind of what I wanted. I didn't want to like, it, it's so funny because when you look back on it, you're like, wow, that's like, hello, confidence, hello, warning signs. But I didn't even want to take space, take up space in my suicide. That's like the funniest thing. I would want to just disappear and be so small and forgettable and everyone just move on. And that's like so sad when you think about that, that even in that dark place, I still wanted to take up as little space as possible. Mm -hmm. And it was just so sad. So the reason I started calling myself unicorn was I, I want to believe it. So every day I'd wake up and say, I'm a unicorn. I'm mystical. I'm amazing. I'm whatever. And I actually have a unicorn right here that I look at and, it, and she's beautiful. And I she is. So I look at that every day and I go, you can conquer the world, you can move forward. And, you know, in an industry like Hollywood that I worked in, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of, you're not tall enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not smart enough. It's just constantly being, and then also all the hate messages. The unicorn reminds me that like, there's something really beautiful and mystical and kind of magical about every one of us. I mean, they always say, right, there's phosphorus in us, which is literally stardust. So if you're part of your body is stardust, like, isn't that kind of magical? Like every single person, even the worst person in the world, there was a little bit of magic. And I think that for me, I just kept reminding myself, I'm a unicorn. I mean, and it helped with all of the comments. I mean, even now, if I check my Instagram, there's going to be some comments. Someone said this morning, you're everything I hate about this world. Okay. Like I'm worse than genocide. I'm worse than the pandemic. Okay. Like that's kind of fun. I was like, great. Let me throw my hair back. And if I really affect you that much, that says more about you than me. Oh, absolutely. You can almost with hearing those words, you can almost see them staring in the mirror and saying that about themselves. Those words can just go right on past you because they are daggers in their, in their hearts. You, that really impacted me emotionally. I'm, when last no, earlier this week, uh, maybe it was this weekend. Sorry, this is only Tuesday. That I think the spring equinox has the capacity to do that to you. Yes, it does. <laughs> I saw a, a post about a young man who had taken a helicopter ride for 15 minutes around Manhattan and then was going back in an entire, had spent hours making it a mural, an entire landscape by memory of the entire- Oh, I know him. Yes, yes. I've seen that video. He's amazing. And I, I think about what you said about your being a unicorn and that talent that we have, we have labeled autistic or we have labeled special that doesn't fit into this heteronormative that the description of that's been controlled by what I believe is a dying hierarchical standard. Agreed. I, this structure cannot support itself. It cannot support any longer. It cannot. And I'm, I'm claiming that. And, <laughs> I but so. I think about, I think about that, that part of the the challenge of the of a patriarchy is to convince all of us that you are the broken one as this young talent is that somehow we're to marvel at this gift that look what he's doing but in reality he probably could solve half of the world problems if we learn that it's not ours to label to limit his abilities but to expand on who he is as a unique individual, but a person who's inside the power structure can't imagine that thought process. So we have to contain it 
as we contain you. Because I'm telling you, I feel that for you. I feel your strength. I feel you like, I'm like, Ooh, I'm jealous. I need to go get, I need a unicorn. I need something <laughs> around here to remind myself even yeah. at 61, you know, Please I just did a video me. talking about my own brokenness from my childhood and how often it affects my own feelings of self-worth and forgetting to, to claim that because it's so important to understand your uniqueness and the gifts that you bring to the world and how beautiful that is. You just literally saved somebody's life explaining that. I appreciate that so much. First of all, 61, you look fabulous. Let's talk about that. Thank fabulous. You. <laughs> I, I do I appreciate that. Fabulous. Uh, hy hydration, water helps a lot with that. And water yeah, water. you got to have good genes in the water. Definitely the water. Yes. But you know, when I started my Instagram and TikTok, I said, I want to save one person's life. And I feel like I've done that tenfold. So when people message me nasty things and, you know, a guy today was like, this is what's wrong with the world. And, and, and I looked on his profile, the first picture is a baby girl. I'm like, I wish your daughter the best. Good mm -hmm. luck with a parent like you. So good luck to her. I wish her the best. And I don't say that to be flippant or rude or sassy. I say it because she's going to need help. And this is something that I believe. And a lot of people like have kind of challenged me on this, but I really do believe that queer children, a lot of times go to parents who are not the most accepting because our job in the world as children is to push our parents to be more open-minded. I believe my parents have made leaps and bounds, even if it might not look like it. Are they ever going to come to a pride parade or be like at my wedding? Probably not. But they've really made leaps and bounds of my dad saying, oh, I like your nail color. Huge, right? These are huge steps. I Wait, think your dad actually said that? Yeah. He said, I like your nails. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. That's like, yay. You know, and I think for someone else, it might be like, I don't, what, who cares? But I think it's about celebrating people where they're at. And I think that a lot of, I get it, queer kids, they get frustrated with what your parents said. And my parents said some really awful stuff when I came out. You're going to get HIV and die. Your parent, we're going to have to take care of you, not your friends. I mean, they said some really awful stuff. But what I need to also accept is that they've made progress from that point, right? So I think it's like, that's an important journey as well is to remember that like people are doing the best they can. And I mean, some my mom's best friend love gay people. I'm like, why couldn't I be her son? But that's because we're there sometimes queer kids are there to push mm. or to, to push their parents to to open make them more open-minded to make them more empathetic like so I think that that has been something that I have really thought about and, and thought okay that's kind of amazing like and adds kind of to the unicorn effect mm. I came in this like gorgeous cute little sassy thing and I pushed them and that's amazing. I think that's that's like pretty powerful that you can push the ego of two Middle Eastern immigrant Muslims to kind of be open minded and to not say like, oh, that's disgusting. Like that's, they used to. that. That's that's amazing. Now, you mentioned that you have a Hollywood background so that you've mm -hmm. worked and you mentioned uh, one of the shows that you had been on. Well, how what have you transitioned to professionally now? How are you supporting yourself or what ways can people find you if you're if you're offering any kind of on your platform? Are you offering services or what do you, what is it that you're doing? So I actually, um, during the pandemic, I, I worked as a publicist for years. And then I was like, you know what, I want to do my own thing. And then the pandemic hit, it kind of worked out. So then I was like podcasting and, you know, my podcast, The Take On, I only did two seasons, but that's still up. And then I started doing confidence coaching during the pandemic. So I was like, hey, I, I feel confident. And I, and it's funny because a lot of times I struggle with my own insecurities and I'm not the most confident, but I was able to help a lot of people. You know, one of my students got divorced and one of them started a flower shop. Like they, I saw the progress that they were making. And so I still offer those classes. I also offer like social media classes, like how to set up your brand, how to set up your website, how to do all that stuff. So there is a lot of like, I, I do like a lot of image consulting. So like how to like the A to Z, if you want to be an actor or an influencer or whatever. So I do all of those things. I also do PR on the side. I'm also producing, I've been pitching a docu-series about gay animals, which is why I brought it up. Um, so I, I'm, I've been, I have my hands in a lot of things. I'm also doing a scripted show about my life. So it's funny that you said that, that scene. Mm -hmm. um, definitely going to add that to the script. Um, so there's a lot of things that I've been kind of focused on. I, I really want to help people come out. Um, and what I call it is coming in. So I also do that as well, because it's, Coming out is about really looking on your insides and really loving who you are before you come out to the world. I really want, like, I offer that as well. Like, I can help you facilitate that conversation with your family. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of really exciting things that are going on. I, I hopefully will be doing a TED Talk at some point. So I've been working on that. So there's a lot of exciting stuff that's coming up. I really just want to take up as much space. I'm like Godzilla. I'm like, give me all the space. 
<laughs> I, I love that, especially when you said earlier, when in some of your most fragile, darkest times, you were trying to take up as little space. And now you're like, hello, world. Hello, world. turquoise uh, unicorn hair and, yes. and making it all happen. Yes. Amir, what would be a something that you want somebody to remember about you in this conversation? What if, you, if someone had to take away one thing about you and your story to help them have hope, what would that be? Okay, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> um, so I think for me, the number one thing in this world to help you kind of just put one foot in front of the other is to really heal that inner child. Whatever it was, if it was the screaming, if it was like, oh, you broke something and you ruined something and you're not a perfect child and I hate you or your mom left, your dad left, whatever it was, heal that relationship. Because as you heal that relationship and you can go hand in hand and just... The fact that the matter is, imagine that inner child. Talk to yourself the way you were that inner child. And remember, Child Protective Services is listening. Don't say you're stupid. Don't say you're ugly. Don't say you're fat. Don't say you're a loser. Don't say any of that stuff. And I do that too. I'm like, of course, it's another rejection. Of course, they hate me. But the fact of the matter is, people that are different are going to have to push twice as hard to get half as much. And I only say that and not in a defeatist way. It's just a fact. I basically look white and I still struggle because the fact of the matter is they're going to know from Amir Hassan Yassai, I'm not white. And they're going to know that I'm queer and they're going to be like, Ugh. the opportunities, like, it's like I have it and then it falls through my hands like sand. So I, I think for me, it's like, as long as you know you're enough, the world is going to tell you time and time again. Your relationships are going to tell you some toxic friendships, work stuff, that you're not enough. But if you just remember that sometimes you're, too much. <laughs> I remember, I'm like, sometimes I'm a little too much. So on those days, remember that like, even on your lowest days, like when you don't want to get out of bed, there are days where you're too much. You could be hosting an award show in your sleep. So just, I think that that's like the kind of extreme opposite of those two energies is like where you find the happy medium. And it's okay not to be okay. Like my cousin's wife the other day asked me like, how are you? And I, and I could tell, like, I kind of wanted to be like, I'm good. And I was like, I'm not doing well. And she was kind of like, uh, uh, and then she was like, me neither, actually. And then proceeded to share something about her life that I've known her for probably 10 years now, never heard anything like that. So sometimes when you say you're not okay, or when you say that, like, I'm coming to you somewhat broken, it allows someone else the opportunity to open up. So that's kind of been my journey with that. Oh my goodness. That's, that's beautiful. All right. One more question. And I don't know where these questions are coming from. I, I typically haven't done this with my guests, but something says that you are the person that needs to answer this for my audience. What will you become or what will you be when you feel like this is what I'm living for? This is what I was always supposed to be. Now I can say that about you right now. I mean, I feel <laughs> like you are just like the complete real deal, but I know inside you, just as I have, uh, one of my things was, you know, getting a book deal I did. Yes. And so for you, what, and, and I know it's a moving target, but for now, what, what would that look like for your world? It's a great question. I think for me, really, I think it it's really about taking up space. So I really want a show that is like about my life, that is just honest and gritty. And it's about being Muslim and queer. And it's not like, oh, well, there's Rami, that's enough. Or, you know, a lot of Hollywood is like, we have one show, it's enough. And, I, and these award shows, it's so funny because I know we sell, and it's amazing. We celebrate the first Asian, the first Black. But the fact that we're still celebrating first in 2023 is also a problem. And then, and it's like frustrating because I want to diversity on and off camera. So that's really important for me. I want to create the A disease of a talk show. I want to create safe space for people. You know, I've done the work. I've interviewed over 600 people. I have like done the work. I've done the legwork and I still have to kind of beg for more souls. And I want to create a world where that's not the case for people of color. That's not the case for queer people that they, if they want to come up and be a black woman doing a boom operating, that's fine. How come everyone in like a crew is all white men? Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Why? And people say, well, they don't apply. Do they feel safe to apply? Like, so this is a kind of world that I want to create. And I've always been just struggled with having to kind of tape my mouth shut because I'm like, it's not right. You know, when I worked in Hollywood, people would call and say, I want to speak to the black actor. 
they were speaking about Michael B. Jordan, not someone who's like a nobody, like a really famous actor and saying the black guy, right? So this is still happening in Hollywood not so long ago. And it continues to happen. So I, I just, for me, I want to, and I don't know if this is the right answer, but I want to be able to have real conversations in Hollywood. And I feel like everything is so hushed tones and whispers and uh, like, don't say it, but I don't care. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't say that. It's very unprofessional. I'm like, I don't really care. And I, I think that there is a level of like the messy human experience that is sometimes missing from TV and film. And a lot of people go, oh, that movie wasn't very good. Well, because it's so tidy and perfect. Where is the mess? Like there are people in their 30s who are struggling with who they are. Why do we only see people coming out of college who are a mess? Right. So I think that's like for me, I just want to take up space. And like people are always like, oh, my God, Drew Barrymore is so great on her talk show. Yeah, because she's lived a very messy life. That's why she can have these conversations with people. Everyone's like, oh, but she's so fun. I'm like, she's fun. But the fact that she can get these celebrities to an emotional level is because she was in a ditch at one point, right? So that's kind of where I want to be able to translate kind of what I've been through and all of those intersections to kind of just have someone be like dancing in their living room at 10 years old and being like, oh, hey, look at him. He's wearing a dress on TV. I can do it too. You know, that's all I want. I want that for you. Thank you. I, Thank the you. world, the world needs that right now. So yeah. I can't wait to see it. And you'll, you'll come back and let us know when that is going to happen, because we'll be the first in line to, to watch it, pay for it, whatever, whatever there is, dear, dear one. Now, can you tell once again, how people can get, a, get in touch with you on your social media platforms, what your, what your handle is or your username? Absolutely. Amir Yas, A-M-I-R-Y-A-S-S, like Yas Queen official. And you can DM me and it doesn't have to be about any of the classes or whatever, it could just be like, hi, I love you. Or I have a question, whatever. You can ask me anything. And I'm very, very like, it's very hard to offend me. So come at me with whatever question you have. Go, go right at him. I can tell he's, he's ready for you. Uh, Amir Yas, this has been an absolute, absolute delight. And yes. you will be able to find Amir's information in our show notes as well. And you'll promise me that you'll come back some yes, other time. I will. I will. I love that was so fun. Well, first of all, and I want to, I told you off camera that you were my first interview where you asked to be my guest. And I, that was, so this was my first, and it has touched me deeply that you trusted me to hold this space for you and that I became aware of you because of this, because you are an absolute delight. And I love what you're doing on your platforms as well. You literally are saving lives, my dear. Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot to hear that. Okay. We'll do it again. Okay. Beloveds. I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray that you receive something because I know I did. Amir has touched me deeply. And now the beloveds go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that that others are on your, this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and we will see you soon. Bye for now.